documented. Miracles happening today. Hey, welcome back, Documented. We have a special guest today named Sharon Slaughterback. And I heard her testimony at a concert downtown. It was super powerful and I just knew there was a lot more to it. And her and her husband go to the Prescott Church and they are just an amazing couple. They're always so vibrant and full of life. You can tell God has touched them. And I'm super excited to get to know her more today and to really hear her background So thank you guys so much for listening. Please, if this story or others touches you, please share. Don't forget to leave us a review. Give us your feedback. We really, really appreciate you. We're hoping that this can just reach um, as many people as possible. So without further ado, this is Sharon Slaughterback. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm really honored to come here. (laughs) Awesome. We're so glad you're here. So if you want to just start kind of giving us an idea of how you grew up and how you met Christ. Okay, well, I grew up in the town of Winslow, Arizona. I grew up with my grandmother. When I was a baby, my mother walked out on me. Well, she left my sister and I alone. My dad came home to find us alone. And, you know, I think my dad maybe may have tried to care for us, but I think he just realized he can do it as a single father. (laughs) So he gave, you know, he gave my sister and I to my grandma who raised us. And I love my grandma, but it was a life of hardship. We grew up in poverty. There were times we lived in a home that had no heat, no hot water. You know, we always lacked. We were always hungry and I was always sick. And, you know, um, and I'll just note this, that it was a house full of women. It was like my grandmother, my two aunts. The only male in the household was, you know, my cousin, who was a boy. <laughs> but um, I know that uh, I remember being about maybe three years old. I never knew my mother, but I knew I had a mother. And I remember one, I remember this one day I was in my bedroom. I was crying crying for my mother. And, you know, my grandmother, she, she told me, she, she said, um, you know, why are you crying for your mother? She didn't want you, you know, and that always stuck in my mind. And I'm like, you know, and, you know, as a young kid to hear that, I'm like, I cried even more. Mm -hmm. And I remember that stuck with me. And even before I was five, so much anger, I had so much rage. I was an angry child growing up. I was always fighting with my sister, always fighting with my cousin. You know, I just, I don't know, somehow as a child, I just knew I was rejected. Mm-hmm. And um, like I said, I love my grandmother, but there was no affection. You know, she, there was no affection whatsoever. No, I love you, no hugs. You know, there was a lot of um, harsh words that were thrown at me and my sister, but you know, I knew she was tired. She was old. She worked hard, you know, so I, you know, I don't hold that against my grandmother. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I remember as a child, like wanting some kind of affirmation at the time. I didn't know that's what it was, but I knew I wanted to be loved. And even from a young age, I was driven, you know, driven to get some kind of attention, driven to get some kind of, I love you or acceptance. 
And I, I used to hang out with um, the neighborhood kids, my cousins, my male cousins' friends. <laughs> so it was the boys in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. We played sports, you know, and I always used to fight, 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 fight. <laughs> Give you us know. an example of what you mean, like verbally, or would you get physical? It, both. Mm-hmm. <laughs> both. It was always physical because I always felt like I had to prove myself. I had this neighbor kid. And we always went head to head. He tried to bully everybody, tried to bully my cousin. And I'm like, no, you're not going to do that. You're not going to bully me. And we would fight. We would fight in the alley. I'd come home, <laughs> you know, a little hurt, but he'd also go home with a bloody nose. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Should have seen the other guy. <laughs> yeah. 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 And um, through school, though, I mean, I remember as a kid in school, I was so, so shy. And it was because I got ridiculed and I didn't realize it until later that I had a lot of ridicule for my family you know they didn't mean harm by it but when you get teased so much you know you just become self-conscious about Mm -hmm. everything everything you do everything you say and sometimes the teacher at school didn't make it any better so I would clam up and I was so quiet and for a while they thought something was wrong with me you know because Mm -hmm. I wouldn't talk I was so shy in school and so I had many doctor visits to try to figure out what was wrong with me. And I remember at this one time, they even, my grandmother took me to this, like a, I don't know what her title is, but it's like at a mental health clinic. She tried to hypnotize me, but it didn't work. You know, they thought maybe I had some trauma in my life that I was closed up about, that I wouldn't say anything. So they tried hypnosis and it didn't work. So when you're at school, you literally would say nothing? Nothing. Like almost like you were mute? Yeah, nothing at all. But at home you would talk? Oh, yeah. I was oh, like okay. talkative at home, but oh, okay. just around other people, I would just clam up. Right. You know, you know, I went through school like that and I didn't, I, I did horrible elementary and, you know, junior high. My, my school work was just way below par. And it wasn't until, it wasn't until, um junior high that you know I joined um, track and it was there that I gained confidence because I realized I could do something you know and I was really good at running I was like one of the top runners and I gained confidence through that sport and I'm like okay well if I could do this you know did did my seventh grade year and then eighth grade you know I was one of the like the top and that gave me a lot of confidence and then that opened up my world to everything else. And I'm like, oh, well, well, I can really do this. So I started to strive in other areas. And through high school, it's like I, I was a grade A student, right? You know, I got a lot of awards, I was selected to go to like college events at schools, you know, and I was like, a, I was I used to write for the school newspaper. And I used to do like some radio, like do the news part of the radio show that our school had. Mm-hmm. So you're starting to really gaining confidence because yeah. there's all these things that you are good at. Yes. Okay. And I had an English teacher who just loved my writing. So she complimented mm-hmm. me all the time and it made me feel really good. So you're getting that affirmation. Yes. And would your grandma, was she into your sporting events and, um, and encouraging? Not really. Um, they didn't attend a lot of my school stuff because, you know, we were very poor. We didn't have a car. Mm-hmm. We didn't have anything. My aunt, she always worked. So she was busy all the time. And so a lot of these, you know, I, I attended alone. Mm-hmm. But I remember they did go to one of my track meets. 
And I was like filled with events. I mean, five events was like the most you could have. Um, I placed first in all my running events. I was so happy that, you know, my grandmother, my aunt was there. <laughs> and I did my best, you know, placing first in all my events. And it, it just made me feel proud. But mm-hmm. that was like one of the only times that they came. Mm-hmm. And I did. I, I, I just strived to do my best. I had a goal in mind. I wanted to make something of my life. I didn't want to live the way I had grown up in poverty, always in lack, always sick, you know. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was setting my mind to do something. I had dreams of, you know, traveling the world as a news journalist. You know, I wanted to buy my family a home. I wanted to buy them a car. I wanted, you know, Mm -hmm. I wanted to do so much for them. So I had all these dreams in mind. I was striving for it. I got a job my senior year so I could pay for all my senior expenses, you know, how expensive that gets. So I got a job and um, this job used to keep me at work till like two in the morning, three in the morning. What were you doing? Oh, I was, I worked at McDonald's. <laughs> that was my first job and they were so shorthanded. So my shift was like one in the afternoon till whenever they released me. Wow. So it started and you were 18. I was 17. Was, oh, 17. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so... I would come home late. One day I came home from school. I was off that day and all my stuff was sitting out on the porch. I'm like, what is this? And my grandmother told me that I wasn't welcome there anymore because she thought I had been like, you know, running around partying, hanging out with boys or whatever she thought. I'm like, but that's not what I'm doing. I was like confused and you know, it took me by surprise. So I'm like, oh, okay, well, whatever. And I had so much pride then, you know, I wasn't going to let that, let them see me cry. So I left, went to my cousin. I'm like, can I live with you? And she lives in the projects. So she took me in, you know, real quick. How much older is your sister? And where was your sister at this time? I'm just um, curious. She's a year older than me. She okay. lived in the same household, except oh, okay. at that time she was involved in a serious relationship. So she you guys lived... weren't very close kind of thing at that time? No, we were never close. We oh. were always fighting. Is, was she doing what your grandma thought you were doing? Um. Well, my grandmother knew what she was doing. She mm-hmm. lived with him sometimes. Sometimes he would come over, stay there, you know. Mm-hmm. So what was the difference between your sister doing that in the house and you supposedly, like, why was there a different standard? Was there a reason why? Or? You know, I really don't know, but I know that through the years that we grew up, my sister always had everything, you know, as poor as we were. She she got a lot of everything, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it's like I... I mean, even from what my dad, what my dad used to get, I mean, she seemed to, I don't know, have favor. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what the deal was. It, I've it always, just was. Is that I, was. Yeah, I just felt like the black sheep. Wow. I felt like the black sheep of the family. Can you tell me a little bit more about that day when you came home? You had just come home from school? Yes. Did she have a conversation with you? No. No, I walked up and I saw my stuff sitting there. I'm like, what's this? You know, I thought, what's this? My grandma came to the door. She's like, she's like, you're not welcome here no more. And she didn't speak English. So she told me in Navajo, you know, you're not welcome here anymore. And I'm like, you know, I was just. Did you even ask why? Or did you no, just... I didn't. Because I was even then I was a very prideful person. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't yeah. want to be seen as weak. I'm like, well, if this is. It's a what... defense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a defense. So 
moved into the projects with my cousin. Did you have a car then? No, I didn't. I didn't. I walked to my cousin's house and she picked up my stuff for me. Wow. So I continued working, continued going to the school with the added responsibility of, you know, babysitting her kids. So my schedule was quite full. My grades started dropping because I continued to work as long as I did. Yeah. And I was So up. you guys, did you make this agreement with your cousin that you'd watch your kids um, if you stayed there? Or how did that work? Well, it was just a given. An unsaid. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I would wake up early, drop her kids off with their grandmother. Then I'd go home, get ready, go to school. As soon as school let out, I would go to work and work into the wee hours, come home, do it all over again. Um, it wasn't long after that that I met at the time. He was my ex-husband. He also worked at McDonald's, moved from Albuquerque. And what drew me to him was just the attention. You know, I wouldn't just really didn't think anything. But when he started to give me attention and be a little flirtatious toward me, you know, that kind of sparked something in me because I had wanted that kind of attention, you know. And, And so we started, you know seeing each other and not too long you know we got involved in a serious relationship he was involved in the gang lifestyle you know which I always was not very fond of but I quickly got drawn into it as well it's like I changed I changed the way I dressed changed the way I behaved conducted myself well during that summer that we met, which would, which would have been after my senior year. A lot of things became heated with two rival gangs, one being theirs. And it, it was, it was just really, it was different for me. And in the midst of that, I remember. There's a story here. Just give it to her. <laughs> <laughs> Don't hold what that. was, there was just a lot of hatred between the two. What were the two gangs? Um... I don't really want to state their names. Oh, okay, okay. that's fine. <laughs> because they, you know, they still exist. They still exist. <laughs> okay, but the colors being blue and red. <laughs> right. We won't say what sides you were on. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> that's funny. Yeah. So you know, you know, and being his girlfriend, it's like I was also caught up in it. Mm-hmm. Right. And but in the midst of that, it's like one of his friends, which is part of the same gang, started. You know, there was a conflict between them over money, drugs, whatever. And he started threatening me for it. You know, he threatened to rape me, threatened to hurt me. So I I began carrying a gun. He gave me a gun. So I was always packed wherever I went. You know, I would walk to work early, walk home at night, sometimes alone. And you just never knew where he would be. And he was dangerous. He was he was crazy, mm-hmm. you know, and so I would carry a gun with me all the time, everywhere I went, because sometimes just walking early morning, late night, you know, just fearing that this guy was going to hurt me. And I was always looking over my shoulder just to make sure he wasn't watching or lurking from some dark corner. But, you know, this person was like a really crazy person. And, you know, I found out years later that because, you know, he was, he was chasing someone with a, uh, with an arrow, he actually impaled himself and died. Oh, wow. Yeah, so he was, yeah, it was bound to happen sometime. But anyway, and, you know, I think I mentioned that things were really heated that summer and one thing that did happen. It's like, you know, at that time, my boyfriend and I, we were walking and we saw like a carload of the rival 
gang. They spotted us walking. They went around the block and were like, he's like, get ready to run. So we did, we started, They we saw him coming down the street and we started running. And they chased us up into, you know, this motel room where we were staying. You know, we ran up the stairs, shut the curtains, locked the door and laid on the floor. It started really getting intense. And then when I started hanging around with the, it's like there were brawls in the parking lots. You know, there were like heart chases. It's like going after somebody and I'm like, do I really want to be a part of this? You know, because mm-hmm. I had never before had gotten in trouble. So that was really, it was, you know, kind of exciting. But at the same time, I'm like, I, I don't want to live this life. Mm-hmm. So I did become pregnant. And, um, and I remember we were having some party and it was mentioned that my firstborn was expected to be initiated into the gang eventually and that made me think and I'm like I don't want this lifestyle for him you know I I don't want him to grow up like this I don't want him to walk down the same path so I started to back out I didn't really hang out with them anymore and of course you know he was always gone so when I did have the baby you know I worked I was working full-time worked up until the work the day that I had my baby had him, went back to work the next week, you know, and, you know, I, I hope that maybe that would settle him down a bit, but it didn't, you know, I spent a lot of time by myself. I'd have my grandmother, my aunt help take care of the baby. And, um, it was miserable for me. So not too long after that, I became pregnant again and remembering my first experience. It's like, you know, you need that support, that comfort from the father of the child, which I didn't get. I didn't want to go through another pregnancy alone. So I started pondering the thoughts of having an abortion. And a coworker of mine had said she had one and she said, oh, it's quick and easy. You know, it's not painful. And so I started thinking, I even spoke to my grandmother and my aunt about it. And my grandma was totally against it. She's like, no, how could you even think to do that? And my aunt, she's like, why? She goes, that's that's a living baby. Why would you do that? She goes, just give it to us. And I didn't want my grandmother to be burdened with a baby because she took care of almost everybody's baby. So, and I knew I'd eventually have the baby back. Right. And I didn't want to be a single parent with two kids. <laughs> so I went ahead, you know, against their will, against my own conscience, made the appointment, went to the abortion clinic, Um, He went with me and we drove up. There were these, this group of people with signs that were anti-abortion, you know, and I turned away. I'm like, no one's going to make me change my mind. You know, they're not going to make me feel guilty. So we drove past them and rushed into the clinic, walked into the clinic. And it was a very cold room, very cold experience altogether. There were a lot of women, a lot of girls there. And I sat there and I'm, and I just kept thinking, am I really going to do this? Can I really do this? You know, and he was all for it. <laughs> so um, when it came my turn, I was laying on the table. The doctor explained what was going to happen. I saw the machine, you know, and it scared me for a minute. And I'm like, wow, can I do this? And he's like, it's not going to hurt. It won't be painful. It'll be quick and fast. And so I laid there and... When I heard the machine go, uh, I did, I did start thinking, am I doing the right thing? 
and when during the process it was painful it really was painful and it 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 bothered me because I knew that there was life in me one second and the next it was gone it was gone and I could feel the emptiness I could feel I felt empty inside I mean physically empty but I also felt spiritually empty and I did for once I, I really did feel like I was a murderer and I felt alone. I thought I was doing the right thing at that time, but I still felt guilty just as my whole mindset at that time is you do what you have to do, get on with life, keep moving forward. I stashed those feelings down and it did bother me for a few days. You know, a couple of times I did have nightmares about a baby, you know, and I wondered, I'm like, is this, is this God tormenting me for what I did, you know? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I stashed it down just like I stashed everything down. And life continued as normal, not too long after. I mean, it was done in vain. You know, it really was done in vain because not long after that, I became pregnant again, again, a third time. And I decided I was not going to go through an abortion again. So I decided I would go through this pregnancy. And one day, you know, we decided we're going to go car shopping. Morning started out okay I thought and so I'm getting ready fixing my hair how far along are you at this point five months I was five months pregnant at this point and so I'm getting ready he comes to the bathroom door and just starts throwing insults at me and I'm like what is wrong with you you know at first I just like shrugged it off and I went to this to the hallway to get something out of the closet there and there's shelves in this closet so nobody's gonna fit in there so as I'm reaching for something, he tries to shove the shove me in, you know, close the door on me. And I'm like, I'm not going to fit in here. <laughs> what are you doing? You know? And so, you know, I'm like looking at him like, what is wrong with you? So I go back to fixing my hair. He does not stop. And so I decide, okay, you know, I'm going to call my aunt. She's going to come pick me up. So I go to the living room, sit on the chair. I start dialing the phone, talk to her. And I hang up the phone as I'm starting, you know, I decide I'm going to go finish up, you know, fixing myself up so I can go with my aunt. And for whatever reason, I don't know what or why, but he turned his back toward me and then just kind of walked backward and fell into me. And when he fell into me, I felt something happen in my stomach and I didn't, wasn't sure what it was. You know, I'm like, hoped I was going to be okay. So I continued to get ready. He did not stop. And I got so upset with him. (laughs) You know, there was a ceramic soap dish on the sink. I'm like, you know, would you just shut up? I got the dish and I hit him over the head. (laughs) And immediately there was like blood pouring down the side of his face. His head, he had like, I busted his head open. So when I saw how much blood there was, I'm like, oh no, you know, I'm going to go to jail. (laughs) And so he went to the hospital. Um, He got stitches. Luckily, no police were involved. You know, we continued to still go, you know, go as planned, continue with our day as planned. We went and I knew something was wrong that day because I didn't feel hungry. And when you're pregnant, you're hungry. (laughs) So I'm like, I thought it was unusual and weird and later that night I started having pain he was gone don't remember where he left or took off to but I called my aunt I'm like can you take me to the hospital something's wrong here 
you know, I'm in pain. So she took me to the hospital. I was in and out quickly. Doctor gave me something to help with the pain. And later on that night, though, it was like 10 o'clock. I was not feeling well. I was hurting. I could not walk. I could not eat. You know, she brought me dinner, but I couldn't eat. And I'm like, you know, I'm like, I'm so hungry, but I can't eat. And I can't walk. I'm like, I could not stand up straight. She came over, took me to the hospital, and it turned out I was having a miscarriage. And my body was in shock, you know, because of the whatever medication the doctor had given me. Uh, my mm. body went into shock. So the doctor there, of course, you know, I was already in the process of labor because I was miscarrying the baby. And it was painful. It hurt. My aunt was there. And somewhere along the, you know, somewhere in that time period, my boyfriend then showed up. Don't know where he came from. And... There was, you know, I was covered in bruises. It, it was just a normal thing. There was not a week where I did not have a black eye or when I did not have a bruise. And so the doctor saw this. They notified the police. And before I knew it, I'm laying there in pain and there were two officers there. And, you know, they wanted to know what happened. How did this happen? Did he do it? You know, and they're like drilling me while he's standing there. And I'm like, I did not say anything. I didn't say anything because I knew he would get in trouble. I knew he would go to jail probably for a long time. And I'm like, I don't want to be alone. But truth was, I was always alone. And so, you know, I didn't say anything. And I'm sure my aunt was about ready to kill me herself because <laughs> I wouldn't speak up. And so they left and nothing happened. You know, the baby came out. I felt it there on the table. Doctor said it, it was a boy. Do you want to see him? I'm like, no. I don't want to see him. And so the doctor carried the baby away and they kept me overnight. He left. My aunt left. And the next morning before I was even discharged, I didn't know how much longer I was going to be there. I just knew I didn't want to be there. I wanted to be at home. So I just got up and put my clothes on and left the hospital. <laughs> and, um, and it was, you know, I think at that point where I realized Nothing was changing. I don't think anything's ever going to change, you know, and I decided that I was going to try to make plans to leave that relationship. I didn't know how because I had no financial means. I, I now had a one-year-old, so I didn't know where I was going to go. And, you know, I, I can't remember what happened, but he did leave. He ended up leaving us. However at that time it must have been a, several months later because i was pregnant again and one could probably ask well if you're in a bad relationship why would you keep getting pregnant <laughs> well there were moments where you know he made me believe that things were going to be okay there were times where he made me feel like he really loved me and that would last for just a little bit before he was gone again and anyway this time around i was maybe six months pregnant and I just made the decision, you know, I don't want to live this way. He got a girlfriend, you know, and so I'm like, he moved out, had a girlfriend. And so when he walked out, it was quite a change, especially for, I think, our, I think he was two, one and a half about that time. So I would sit there with him at night and console him because he'd be crying, crying for his dad. And the thing I didn't know at that time, though, was he'd be outside the window watching. <laughs> he'd be looking in the window watching us. And I always had the feeling I was being watched. But I'm like, well, I, I don't know, whatever that is. 
but you know he wouldn't do anything to try to comfort him you know so we we did leave about a month after he left i moved to phoenix made arrangements with my cousin you know lived with them for a bit got a job things didn't work out my sister had moved there so i lived with her and her boyfriend and of course issues arose you know so then when that didn't work out my aunt who lived there took me in is that a different aunt than it is a different aunt. yeah a totally different aunt and so I work, continued to work and started going to the hospital more often because my baby was breached. She was, a, you know, the wrong side. His head was face up. Mm-hmm. So they were trying to help me do exercises to turn him around. So it was like weekly doctor visits. And this this one visit I went, I expected to return right back to work, but I stayed there because they discovered that his umbilical cord was choking him. He was in distress. So they had prepared me for an emergency C-section, you know, went through that by myself. Nobody was there for me. Um, called my sister, she couldn't come, you know. And uh, the anesthesiologist was friendly enough to stay with me. <laughs> you know, stayed with me through the whole procedure. And I, I was there for a week no visitors. My sister came to pick me up and drop me off at my aunt's house. And then, you know, I decided, I'm like, well, I'll go visit, you know, home for a while, let the family see the baby. So left, got my newborn baby, packed up some stuff, went on the Greyhound back home. (laughs) (laughs) And they had my, they had my one and a half year old. And by then he was there. And so I was there for two months, which was longer than what I wanted and of course, that opened up the opportunity for him to come back in and convince me that he really wanted to work it out. So after two months, you know, we both moved back to Phoenix. My family offered to keep the kids while we found a place, got settled, got, you know, get our jobs back in order. We did. So when he was trying to um, to come back into your life... Mm-hmm. What was it that made you get back together with him? Well, I really wanted to believe him, you know, like, well, maybe he's changing. And I did not want my boys to grow up without their father because I know what it felt like to be without both parents. Mm -hmm. And I know the things that I had longed for, the things that I'd wanted. I didn't want that for them. So I did take him back. You know, we went to Phoenix, we both, we found a place, got jobs, and it was struggle. And things, you know, quickly turned back to the way they were. He was abusive, but of course he's not in an environment where his friends were, so he was at home more. But there was still the fights, the arguing. And it was during that time, it's like, you know, I started going out to the club by myself. He wouldn't take me anywhere. No dates, no nothing. So I'm like, I'll take myself out. <laughs> so I started going to the clubs every weekend to party, you know, and um, and we've struggled and I wanted more to life. I wanted to be loved. I wanted to be taken care of. And I remember sitting on my couch looking out one day and I'm like there's got to be more to life than this and I decided I was going to start looking for something better like job wise to bring more money and if he's not going to do it then I'm going to do it you know and I had always struggled with the fact that he lived a good life before he came to Winslow Um, he was 
um, abandoned by his own parents. So he lived with his grandpa. His grandpa lived in Albuquerque, had a very good job, and he was spoiled. And I used to tell him, don't you want the kind of life that you lived for us too? But it was to no avail. So I began looking through the classified ads for jobs. And I'm like, what job could I do that, you know, would give me fast money? <laughs> and so I found, and I remembered the club that I went to. It's like, I, I remember seeing the waitresses there. And I used to see him pull out wads of cash, just in tips alone, like wads of cash. I'm like, wow, you made that in tips? And the waitress would be like, oh yeah. So I'm like, well, maybe I could do that. So I went to apply and, you know, called, called up the job and the owner's like, yeah, you know, you can come in this day for an interview, wear a dress or a skirt. And I'm like, okay, the interview basically was stand in front of me, turn around, okay, you'll do. Now go get your liquor license. <laughs> And that was it. And I thank God that the two times that I attempted to get that liquor license that I just, it just never happened. I don't know what, I just could never find the place. And I'm glad that it didn't happen. But then it also opened the door too well. Maybe I could work in a strip club. But the more I thought about it, I'm like, I can't bring myself to do that. <laughs> and then so I kept looking and then I'm like, well, you know, there was they were always looking for people to do photo shoots for catalogs or, you know, different types of things. I'm like, well, maybe I could do that. Maybe I could be like a model, not like a great model, but like for catalogs, you know? And so, it, but in order to do that, you have to have like classes, like acting classes. And that's what they were. So I did, I started taking those classes. I paid for them over a duration of six months. I graduated and before I graduated, I had already had like two jobs landed. Well, one was for a commercial, one was for an audition for a movie. And the other, I was like going to New York to audition for sitcoms. And there were hopes of landing a bigger agency to represent me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was so excited. And it was during that time where he's, he's like, I feel like if you go there, you're going to leave me because I was preparing, you know, they were preparing me how to self-care my skin, how to introduce myself. They were going through the whole works. Mm -hmm. So it didn't happen yet, but we were preparing for it. In the meantime, he was trying to convince me not to go, but I'm like, I want to do this for my kids. I want to do this. I want to stabilize them. I want them to be financially stable. Don't want them to grow up like I did. So I, I was preparing for that. And I remember I was always celebrating. I mean, I graduated, I was selected to go to New York. And so it was time for celebration, you know, and I was already partying every weekend anyway. But I remember our relationship at that time was tit for tat. I wasn't going to take it from him anymore. So he would do things intentionally to hurt me or make me jealous. And I would do the same to him. I had started an affair. I remember um, starting an affair and this went on for a few months and I, I was like torn because it was during that time that I think he felt like he maybe really cared for me and really wanted me in his life. And so I was torn between somebody saying, I'll take care of you and your kids. And then between the father and my kids saying, I really do love you, but really didn't know how to show it, I guess. And so I remember... Was he aware of the affair? He was because he had me followed. And he told me this. 
And I remember seeing this guy just sitting there, didn't try to hide it, was just always watching me and taking pictures. (laughs) So he had me followed all the time. Mm -hmm. And so I remember leaving my apartment one night and going to this park in West Phoenix. And I sat on the swing and I was just like thinking, what do I do? You know, what should I do? And I remember looking up at the sky and I said, God, if you were there, I really need you to talk to me. I really need you right now, you know? And I sat there for a few more minutes, I cried. And then I went back home and I was living, I was sleeping in a different bedroom. I didn't stay in the same bedroom bedroom that he was in. And I remember going home and this is one thing I'll never forget. I was woken up in the middle of the night to a loud thunderous voice and it, and the voice said, when do you want to talk? And I got up, I looked around, I even looked under the bed. <laughs> I'm like, is there somebody in here? I got up, walked out, there was nobody. Every, the house was quiet and dark. So I didn't think much of it and I went back to bed. And I remember the next weekend was Valentine's weekend. I went out to the bar and for some reason the next morning, it's like I always slept in on Sundays. I woke up at six. I'm like, if I'm up, I might as well shower. And then in the shower, I'm like, well, if I'm showered, I might as well go to church, you know, because during (laughs) during the year, you know, he did have a coworker that would leave him flyers and he would throw them away. But one day he brought one home. And I'm like, what is this? He's like, oh, this guy, Edgar, keeps leaving him for me. I'm like, well, maybe we should go. So during that year uh, leading up to that day, you know, we went to three outreaches. Didn't really understand it. Didn't really know what it was about. So we didn't stay. But then I remember that flyer and that church, you know. So that morning I knew where the church was. I got my kids up, got them ready. We went to church that morning and I put on my best clubbing clothes, the ones I thought were most modest, (laughs) went to church and I met Margarito, who was Hector's wife. He was my husband's coworker then. Well, not my husband, my boyfriend's coworker. And so she met me at the door. She's like, oh my gosh, you're here. I'm so glad to see you, you know? She goes, let's take your kids to the nursery. She showed me where the nursery was. We dropped them off. I went in, she was like, you could sit by us. So we sat, I sat by her. And um, it was during a Dennis Wright revival. And I didn't, I've never experienced anything like it, never heard preaching like that. And God spoke to me that morning in that sermon, altar call came, I answered the altar call, gave my life to Christ. And I remember just walking and feeling so heavy. And at that altar, God lifted so much from me. I cried at the altar, God really touched me. I felt lighter. I felt lighter when I prayed. And um, I was sitting there at the altar with my head bowed. And Dennis Wright, I didn't know he had walked up to me, but he said, sister, I want you to look up at me. And it was quiet for a bit. I'm like, who is he talking to? (laughs) I opened my eyes and I saw his feet standing right in front of me. So I looked up. I'm like, oh, he's talking to me. And the first words that, you know, came out of his mouth, you know, really got me. He was like, God has seen your tears. And he's heard your cries. And I don't remember the rest of the word, but, you know, uh, it's like I was, I felt like I was one over then. I'm like this, he spoke to me. I was so excited, you know, happy. 
I left church, I was like so happy. <laughs> and so I went home, he was there and I was like, you know, I went to church this morning, I got saved. I'm like, I really think you should come too, you know? And so he did come back with me that night. He answered the altar call, he got saved. And, you know, he went for about three months. I mean, God truly touched me during that time. It's like, I, I really started feeling conversion. He's, I started seeing things differently. I changed the way I dress. You know, I had a nose ring, I took that out. I didn't want to go to the clubs no more. And even during that time, I threw away all my clubbing clothes, <laughs> you know. And so um, we weren't married. And I told them, you know, this is even after I got saved, but I didn't, I was still learning. And I told him, I'm like, are you going to marry me? Because if you're not going to marry me, I'm like, we've been together five years. And at that time we found out I was pregnant again. I'm like, we're on our third child. I'm like, if you're not going to marry me, let me know. I'm going to have an abortion and I'm out of here, <laughs> you know, and that, I guess that convinced him enough. So he went out, bought a ring. We planned a quick wedding. We got married and I thought things would change, but they didn't. And it was during that time I got saved that God really opened my eyes. And that was the last three years of my marriage to him first and last three years, because God started unraveling a bunch of things. And one sermon in particular, Pastor Zebel said, look to the people to your left and right. And I looked over to my husband or, yeah, we were married then, my ex-husband. And he said, do you know the person that you're sitting next to? And I remember thinking, yeah, I think I know him, you know, he, and he continued for all you know, you could be sitting next to a monster, a murderer, a rapist, a child molester. And I'm like, no, I think I know him. You know, and I remember thinking that and that always, I always, that resounds in my mind because that began. That is such a hardcore sermon. Yeah, it oh is. My gosh. Because it opened my eyes to a lot. It unraveled things that were hidden. Wow. It's like the clash. God was working in me. So there was the Holy Spirit in me and mm -hmm. he was playing church. He was involved in dark things. And when those two spirits clashed, it became a rumble, <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I, I used to see like little plastic things and I should have known what they look like because it's like, I used to carry them for him, you know? And I didn't know it though. I'd see like these empty pins taken apart, you know, the, it looked like a straw. I'm like, what are these doing here? And I'd see all these little plastic things laying all over. And, and then I'm like, what are these things? And little, it came it became known at surface that he was addicted to meth, which is why we struggled a lot. All the money was going mm -hmm. to meth. And then it's like I started finding porn magazines, you know, all over the place. He was addicted to pornography. And then we had two bank accounts. He, you know, he closed me out of one of them, took my name off of one of them. And I got the mail one day before he came home because he used to tell me, don't get the mail, I'll get the mail. Like, well, one day I felt a little rebellious. I'm going to go get the mail. <laughs> Bank statement came in. I opened it and it was like, oh, the one that my name is not on anymore. There's like charges for escort services, charges to hotel rooms, charges. You know, he had been, you know, paying for escorts and cheating on me with prostitutes and everything. So I was like, what the heck? You know, even though I had had my affair, but he had been cheating on me before, but 
uh, Squinna Church, I thought that was going to change, and it didn't. And he was still attending church with you at this point. He was. He was still attending church. And then what was even greater was there was a suitcase. We had our closets. He always told me, stay out of my side of the closet. Don't you dare touch this. And so when, you know, when he was gone, I, he was always gone whenever he felt like it, you know, did whatever he wanted. So feeling rebellious again, I'm like, I'm going to go see what's in his closet. So I pulled down a suitcase, I open it and there's like witchcraft paraphernalia. There's like candles, there's like daggers of all sorts. There's just things. I'm like, what, what is this? You know? And I'm, I closed it. I was shocked. And I'm like, what is this? And then it, re- it, it, I recall just over the years, it's like, I just started remembering all the things that would happen in our home, like strange things, things that are not normal, you know, noises, voices. It's like just all these things. I'm like, what is happening here? And then there was another church service I remember sitting in. And this was, we were together at that time. And, um, the pastor said, I can't remember who was speaking. It was a guest speaker. And he said, you know, during altar call, he's like, sis, he goes, there is a woman here. He goes, I won't call you up by name. I don't want to humiliate you. He goes, I, but I just feel like I want to go walk up to you and take your hand. He goes, but God is going to start unraveling. He's going to pull the sheets, you know, and things are going to be revealed. And I'm like, I knew he was talking to me. Wow. And it's like all these things that I started finding out. And it seems like once my eyes were open to them, it got bad. The abuse got worse. I mean, there were times just were out of nowhere. And by this time, I had decided to stay home. I quit my job to stay at home because I, this was like after Celeste, you know, time had passed. And then I was pregnant with Michaela. I had Michaela. So then I decided to stay home. So this is over a period of time. And... Um, just out, out of nowhere, he would just come up to me. I would be washing dishes or cooking or whatever, and just pull a knife on me. He would hold a knife to my chest, or there were times where he would just hit me and start yelling at me. I'm like, what is your problem? What's going on? And I I couldn't understand it. I didn't understand his rage or the violence. And there were moments where I swear I could see he would like he would always pull me up to his face where I had to look at him. And there were times where I could see fire, like literally see fire in his eyes and his face would change. Like I could see jagged teeth, like I was looking at the devil himself, you know, and there was this moment, this one time where he said to me, you know, he was like, I will break you. He had me on the ground in a hold. And I'm like, And he started pushing me around. I can't remember. There was anything would set him off. And he said, I will break you. But I knew at that time, it wasn't just him talking to me. It was the devil talking to me saying, I'm going to break you, you know? And so that, that went on while I went to church. It's like, I still went to church. He stopped going to church. You know, he wasn't ready to surrender his life. The abuse continued. I went to church with bruises, (laughs) black eyes. You know, it was embarrassing, but people understood. And had it not been for my pastor at that time, he counseled me through it. And he always used to say, I'm on your side, you know, but I I didn't know what God wanted because I knew God honored marriage. I'm like, God, you know, help my marriage. It's like, 
I was really expecting God to heal my marriage and turn him around. But it just became more intense as every day passed. Um, and I remember being mad at God one time. And I'm like, God, why are you allowing this to happen? I gave my life to you. Why are you allowing me to go through this? And I, I remember you mentioned earlier, too, that you used to be like really feisty and scrappy. I did. I, and I then was. after salvation, God kind of removed that. But it yeah. almost made you more more vulnerable. Yes, it, it did. It it was it. That was a fight because and I used to get I used to cry in anger because I knew that it wasn't in me anymore. God took that fight out of me because I was a fighter. I would not let anybody push me around, especially not him. So I would fight. And when I got saved, God took that from me. So when he started pushing me around, I would cry in anger because I knew I couldn't do it anymore. It wasn't right. Didn't want my kids to see that lifestyle. And so I would cry and it was frustrating. I felt mm -hmm. like it was a hit at my pride. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So, and it was humiliating the way he did it because sometimes he'd do it publicly. Oh my God. And so one night I was mad at God and I would pray every night before I'd go to bed. And I'm like, so it's like Michaela was a baby. She was sleeping next to me. I went to bed. I'm like, I'm not going to pray tonight. I am mad. I am mad. I was shaking my fist at God. I'm mad at you. And I went, I laid down to go to bed and I hadn't slept. Like I had not slept peacefully, hardly slept for a while. And so that night I remember I heard a voice, get up and pray. And I'm like, no. He's <laughs> like, get up and pray now. And it sounded urgent. So I'm like, okay, fine. Reluctantly, I got up, kneeled at my bed, and I prayed. And to my amazement, I felt better after I went to bed. And for the first night in a while, I slept peacefully. And I and he confessed later that that night he heard voices. He became possessed or was in a trance. He heard voices tell him, kill her. Oh, my kill God. Her. And we, we used to keep a gun. He used to keep a gun under one of the side tables. And that night he confessed to me that he took the gun out. And I was laying on my stomach. I was sleeping on my stomach. My daughter's in her carrier next to the bed. And I'm sleeping. So he's like sitting on me and I did not feel it. And he's got a gun pointed to the back of my head saying, and he's listening to voices saying, kill her. He's like, I was fighting this, I kept shaking it, but the voices kept saying, kill her. So he's got this gun pointed to my head while I'm asleep. And he said, any movement you made, he goes, because my hand was on the trigger, would have caused me to pull the trigger, but you did not move that night. You slept peacefully, you did not move. He goes, so after a while, I just got up, got up off of you, put the gun back underneath the table. And, you know, I'm oh. like, wow, oh my God really saved me that night. I could have went to bed mad and stepped into eternity and never would have known it, mm. <laughs> you know. And what, gosh, like what was happening in the spiritual realm, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, it was, and you obeyed even though you're mad. Yes. Oh my gosh. Wow. <sighs> yes. <laughs> No, things didn't get any better. And I found out that he was involved in witchcraft. And I can't remember. I mean, I found the paraphernalia. Mm -hmm. But 
it, it just became, it's like God showed me, God gave me that wisdom to understand what it was. God exposes, he always yes, yeah. He exposed it. And I remember, I, I prayed all the time. I prayed all the time in my home and, you know, things, things would happen. Things would happen. I didn't understand it then, but as I got saved, it's like I began to understand. God gave me that understanding of what it was. And I, I would start having dreams. I started having dreams and he was always chasing me. I was like, why am I having dreams running from him? Like he was trying to kill me, <laughs> you know? And it's like, I didn't understand it. But 2020 vision, looking back, I, I understood everything. And I wanted to believe that he loved me, but he was involved in witchcraft. And I found out later that he was a warlock. He is a warlock and his mother practices witchcraft and they both did not like me. Uh, you know, it just, once oh. I got saved, it, he, it just turned to hatred for me, even from him, the mother of his kids, he didn't care. And you know, so was he involved in this prior to your salvation? Yes. So he kind of just hid it from you for some time. Yeah. But he wow. always, you know, I knew that his mom practiced witchcraft. I didn't think he was involved in it because mm -hmm. he openly admitted, you know, his mom practiced sure. black magic. And I'm like, okay, you know, didn't think too much of it. And so it, it just became clear, it became clear what was going on. And I was just like really questioning God now, God, what are you doing? Do you really yeah. want me here? And, you know, we had moved, we had lost that place. We had moved to a different place and this was in the ghetto. Um, <laughs> but of course I was kind of used to that lifestyle. It's like one gang here, a block over, there's another gang, gunshots every night. Um, you know, spotlighting from the, what we call the ghetto bird, which is the helicopter, <laughs> you know, spotlighting every single night. So, you know, it, we moved into that environment. I was home by myself a lot. How frustrating though, because you've wanted to escape from that your whole life. Yes, it, it was true. And we lost everything because we had to put everything in storage for a bit. And we lost everything. I don't know if you're going to touch on this, so sorry if you are. But what happened with New York and the auditions oh. with that? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. When I got saved, it's like God changed my heart on everything. And I knew that was a worldly lifestyle. And even then, even then early on as a baby Christian, I knew that lifestyle wasn't going to fit with Christianity. Gotcha. And I quit. I quit that. All the modeling. And yes. Stuff. And the agent kept calling me. Are you sure? I'm like, yes. You know, I became a Christian. That is not what I want anymore. That's a big point of surrender, though. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Because I think, too, I was, I was thinking about this when you were talking is up until you get saved, you're probably thinking the reason why our life is so bad is because we don't have enough money. Yes. And so then you think, okay, now I have this opportunity to make more money, but God exposes like, it doesn't matter how much money you have. This isn't going to fix the issue of the yes. heart. So it's just crazy. Like you, your entire life, you've thought that probably <laughs> it's just a money issue. I just need more money. Yes. And now you have the opportunity to potentially make tons of money, but you recognize right away that, that's not the issue. That's the issue of sin and the heart issues. And yep. stuff. That's just crazy. It, it, it's a testimony for sure. It is. And I knew, I knew what lifestyle came with that. It's like, I knew there's drugs, you know, the love of money takes mm -hmm. you into different worlds that you don't want to be a part of. Yeah. So it's like God really 
touched, he changed me radically. And I knew that that's not what I wanted, even when I got saved in the first couple of months. And I walked away from that. Didn't do any of the jobs. Didn't wow. go for the audition. And people were like, what? You're crazy. <laughs> Why would you do that? You know, mm-hmm. this was people, these were people the outside the church. Yeah, they sure. didn't understand. I'm like, no, that's not what I want. Yeah. So you guys are struggling still. And mm-hmm. you said your stuff was in storage. You lost it all. Yes. And this is in the midst of you finding out he's a warlock and all this stuff. Yes. All right. So you're in the ghetto neighborhood. The <laughs> helicopter ghetto bird. bird <laughs> ghetto <laughs> bird every night. Yes, I haven't heard that in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and are you thinking you just need to try to, you're just still trying to believe God for him, I, to turn him around? I did. And I was always seeking counsel from my pastor. And, you know, he would tell me, you know, God honors marriage. And it's not like he wanted me to stay there, but, you know, and I remembered the words he said, it's like, I don't want to do this. I hate him so much right now, but I'm going to wash his clothes. I'm going to cook what food there is because God honors marriage. And most times he wouldn't come home to eat anyway, but I did. I really tried my best. And then, you know, at this one day he did go to church with me. He wouldn't, he, he would go every now and then, but when I came to church with bruises and everything, he got called out in the middle of service one day. Pastor was like, and if you think that beating a woman makes you tough, he didn't say it directly, he didn't say his name, but he said, if you think that beating a woman is tough, meet me outside after church and I'll show you what a real man is. And he got so mad. He didn't come back after that. <laughs> but, but there came this day though, we went home from church there was an argument that started on the way home, continued at home. I sat on the I sat on the couch and behind me was the big window, which had to be held shut by a pipe because there was no lock on the window. And in the neighborhood we lived in, yes, we needed to be secure. So, you know, and I grabbed that in my defense because he he came toward me, you know, he came at me. I grabbed the pipe and I held it in my defense. And he just, he took it from me and he hit me. He kept hitting me with the pipe. And, you know, I sent, it's like, I sent the kids upstairs, you know, and I remember looking over at the kids and this is what had had been stirred into my mind. From that moment forward, I looked up. We lived in a townhome. The kids were up on the stairs. They were screaming and crying. There was fear in their eyes. I could see the fear in their eyes and Stephen, the oldest, He's like trying to shelter them, cover them while he's crying too. And, you know, that really broke my heart. I didn't want them to see, see any more of it. And I think I was done by that time. You know, he, I couldn't walk. So I stayed downstairs. Me and the kids slept downstairs and Stephen took care of me, kept bringing me ice packs to put on my legs and I remember I could not sleep that night and I cried. I'm like, God, surely this cannot be what you want for me. And my pastor had said before too, God doesn't want you to be somebody's punching bag or doormat, you know, but I didn't know if it was okay to leave. So that night I made up my mind. It's like, God, if this is not where you want me to be, take me out of here. Take me away from this man. And, you know, I cried myself to sleep that night. Lo and behold, at 3.30 in the morning, my aunt from Winslow showed up with my sister. Apparently they had come into town to check on my, one of my cousins who lived there. They were concerned about her, but they needed a place to sleep. So they came over 
So they slept from 3.30 till the morning, got up. We did some things, you know, spent some time with them. And she saw how we were living. And Stephen's birthday was going to be the following week. And she knew we lived horribly. So she's like, you know, can we take the kids back, you know, to visit with us for a week? We could celebrate Stephen's birthday. And I'm like, sure. And I'm like, can I come too? And their expression was like, we really don't want you to, you know, but I, I didn't care. I don't care if you don't like me that much. I don't care if you don't want me to. I just want to get out of here. So I jumped on the opportunity and he was there. So I packed up our stuff for a week. We went, stayed there. A week went by. I'm like, I'm not coming back. I'm not going back. He called and he's like, when are you coming back? I'm like, I'm not, I'm staying here. And he's like, you better come back. He goes, you know, what's, what's waiting for you? I'm like, yeah, I'm not going back. And so I made up my mind. I'm staying here. You know, I will do what I have to do. What did he mean by, you know, it's waiting for you? Like he, he knew be mad a, at you? A or? beating. He mm-hmm. knew that. I knew he was saying there's a beating waiting for you when you get back. So you felt like he had that much control over you. He did. He had a lot of control and he used, he used violence. And he took every resource away from me, like no phone, no car, no money. I, I was always left with nothing. And I had to scrap or ask for help to feed the kids or get places, you know. And most times it was like a couple of the women that, you know, I had made friends with in the Phoenix church and they would help me out sometimes. So God still kind of provided for us through other people when he took everything away. Mm-hmm. And so... Two weeks after being at my aunt's, you know, they really didn't want me there. At this time, I had moved into a different house, but, you know, there's still a little bit of tension there, you know. Mm -hmm. And so they didn't really want me there, but I didn't care. (laughs) I just knew I didn't want to be there and I had nowhere to go. So two weeks later, I convinced her to take me back to Phoenix to pick up what we could. So... One night, we left late at night, my aunt, my sister and me, we went back home to my house where we lived. And we're like, I don't know if he'll be there, but all the lights were on in the house. We walked in, the back door was unlocked. You know, we were cautious and walked in and there were like computers all over the front floor, the living room floor. I'm like, what is this? And I'm like, I don't even want to know. So we immediately began to gather as much clothes, just what we needed, not a lot of things. We couldn't take everything. I took, you know, our important papers, our pictures, and what clothes we could gather. And we just stuffed the car full with as much as we could. And we left. (laughs) Didn't see him, didn't know where he was. We left. And I felt it was hard because, you know, the things that we had accumulated up to that point, again, we were walking away from we were just leaving i was leaving that life behind and so went back to my grandmother's house was there for about a month i got a job and because of my you know new status as a single mother from domestic violence i was quickly able to get into an apartment and get like a little bit of government assistance to get on my feet but before all that well, that was in the process, though, issues arose because me and my kids were there. My sister and her kids were there. You know, a little bit of jealousy arose and my aunt told me we had to leave. And I was starting a job the next week and I'm like, but I don't have any money. I don't have anywhere to go. 
and she didn't care. <laughs> you know, she did not care. And so, and I remember I conflict was between me and my sister, you know, because kids, they get into fights and whatever. And she had a lot of hard feelings toward me. So I'm like, okay, but I don't have anywhere to go. And she's like, just get out. And she reached, I don't know how she knew my Bible was in my bag, my purse. She took out my Bible and she shoved it in my face. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, she goes, do it again if you want. I was like, do it again, you know? And she picked up the Bible and shoved it in my face again. And it had started pouring that day. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess we're gonna walk in the rain to my cousin's house, you know? She lived with her brother because she was homeless. So her brother, while he was gone, would allow her to stay there in his little place. So I'm like, we'll walk over there. It's pouring rain right now, but we'll walk. So me and my kids started out the door and perfect timing. It wasn't co coincidence. I knew it was my mom. I mean, I knew it was God. My mom pulled up. How she knew I was there, I have no idea because we had only been with my grandmother a month in Winslow. She pulled up. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what are you doing here? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> At that time and moment. So I'm like, can you give us a ride somewhere? She's like, yeah. So put my kids in the car, took our stuff, took the stuff that we had. And uh, I'm like, take me to my cousin's house, please. And my cousin was there, luckily. Did you have a relationship with your mom? No, she was in and out of my life. But I, I started to know her, but not very personally okay it's like she would s just stop in town unexpected i see and so okay. that's you know i begin to that was um, the nature of your relationship yeah okay it was and so um she took me there and i was so thankful because she handed me money which is something we didn't have wow. she bought us food wow and then she was gone again but Wow. I was so thankful that she showed up at that moment. And my cousin had been living in her car for a bit, but she was living there. But she allowed us to stay there without the knowledge of her brother. <laughs> her brother had no idea. Wow. So we all slept on a futon bed with all our stuff in the corner. You know, there was no heat in the house, no hot water. Oh so it's like we were there for two months. And I was hurt you know I thought I was going to try to keep living for God but it became so hard I just felt betrayed by my family especially by the aunt and the grandma that told me leave him leave him leave him but the minute I left him it's like they so weren't there to they help were, you yes yeah. so I was hurt and I went on a binge of drinking for a year I got into my own apartment then but we had nothing and I was so hurt I was so betrayed. I started drinking and this went on for a year. And during that process, it, I mean, I did become an alcoholic. I was drinking all but one day, one day out of the week. And, you know, my kids, I neglected my kids. They needed me, but I wasn't there to comfort them because they were already, you know, hurting from what they saw and hurting that their father was not there. And... You know, I I was trying to band-aid the wounds that I felt. And this went on for a year. And during that time, I almost lost my kids. I was out at the bar and 
you know, the officers were there and I struck up a, a conversation with an officer because I had always been interested in that field. And, and then they got a call and they left. I'm like, okay, well, I'll see you. But little did I know that they were going to my place. <laughs> oh my God. And so, you know, I'm like, I left the bar. I'm at this party. And then somebody called me. I can't remember who called me. Somebody called me. You need to get home. The cops are at your house. I'm like, okay, what's happening? I went home. You know, my kids were there. My oldest at that time was nine. And my daughter, the youngest one, Michaela, she was a year old. She had started, you know, she was walking. She knew how to open the door. Apparently, she got up during the night and left to go to the playground. It was an apartment complex, but early in the morning, like about 1.30, there were kids there, but then the kids left and then she was stuck by herself crying. Someone heard her crying, called the police. Police were all over my house. I got there. I'm like, what is going on? And I knew I was in the wrong. I knew what I did was wrong. CPS is there, which is now DCS. They had Michaela in a car covered in a blanket. I'm like, oh my gosh. And I sat there. They were questioning me. But, you know, I just, even though I was drunk, I was in sin. I even prayed that night. I'm like, God. And like, I sat there on the curb because they made me sit there. I'm like, God, I know that what I've been doing is wrong. I am so sorry. I'm like, would you please forgive me and help me? And luckily... You know, thankfully, they gave me Michaela back that night. Wow. A friend of mine stayed with me that night. She was sober. She lived in the complex, stayed with me that night, just so my kids were allowed to stay there too. And so I'm like, that really, (laughs) that took a whole turn of things. And I'm like, I can't do this. This is scary. And I thought I was going to lose them. There was a case Mm -hmm. opened with DCS and I really got to stop. And then it hit me, you know, it's like, you know, I'm like, I wish we had a church here. And I just got so caught up in Victory Chapel because that was the name of the church in Phoenix, Victory Mm -hmm. Chapel. But I forgot. It's also the Potter's House. And for the whole year that I had been there, it's like I had passed it many times, but it never clicked in my head. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, duh, we have a potter's house. <laughs> so, oh my gosh, what so a trip. I showed up at church one morning, and, you know, Quaint Hutchinson was a pastor then. I started attending church there, and he was there for two months before the pastors changed. You know, Adrian and Emily Martinez came into town and they took over the church. And before they had come, I remember saying, I need a friend. I just need a friend. And so they came, Emily and I hit it off. You know, we clicked, we we became friends instantly. And I got saved again. I got saved again. I started attending church faithfully. And after some time passed, you know, they let my pastor know that I was there. You know, by that time he had been launched up to South Africa. So wow. Gary, yes, so Gary Marsh had taken over at that time. So um, time passed, got involved in ministry. God began healing the wounds that I had, saved me from from alcohol. You know, I walked up to Pastor Martinez and I'm like, I don't want to be this way. Said a prayer with me and instantly the desire for alcohol 
left because I used to walk through the grocery store and my mouth would start watering for the taste of alcohol. And that left instantly. God healed me from that. And so I became involved in ministry. First, it started out with, I think it was just singing on the platform, you know, and then other things, they started getting other things going, did drama, you know, got involved in outreach. We traveled to other places to outreach and I'm like, wow, this is really great. (laughs) You know, this is cool. And so, you know, my kids came along, we cleaned the church, did nursery, Emily and I did like Sunday school, we did gel ministry. We did like a whole array of things. And, you know, it's like God was starting to heal me, but there was still that need for affirmation that was still there. It always been there, becoming involved. And then um, my work schedule, you know, I had to work weekends. So I had to find babysitters for my kids. Didn't really have it. And my grandma would welcome them, you know, even after being kicked out, just bring them over. My sister was like, no, absolutely not. (laughs) You know, she goes, we'll have you know, one of my other family members go and watch him, who was a male, you know, and so I'm like, okay, you know, and things happened. It surfaced that one of my kids were being violated by this family member. And I was, I was like shocked. I'm like, how, how could this happen? And it's like, we went through everything. I'm like, you're not in trouble. And I knew that I knew it had to be reported. I took my my child to the hospital. Hops became involved and I knew they were gonna become involved anyway. And I was like, oh no, you know what's gonna happen now? Because at that time, you know, at least my family was willing to watch my kids for a few hours, you know, while I worked. But at that time I knew I was gonna lose the support because my family member was from that household. So mm-hmm. it, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is gonna start a whole array of things and they're, they're going to be mad at me. They're not going to want to help me. And which is what happened. But I'm like, I don't care. My child's going to know that I am standing up yes. and I'm going to be here. I'm going to defend, you know, defend my child. I don't care, you know, and it did happen. No sooner after that investigation opened and they were mad at me. So thankfully, you know, Emily helped with that. You know, we worked out something. So Mm. we went through that process. It was hard. It was really hard. But I, I, you know, I'm just thanking God that things had changed for me as far as my salvation goes, because I wouldn't have made it through that moment without God and without support. And when it came down to the trial, it was so hard. Just my kids had to go onto the stand and it was hurtful and i got to sit in the courtroom the whole time and there were many times i wanted to jump over over the little wall right there that separated the attorneys from the gallery and just beat the attorney the defense attorney i was so angry at Mm. how my kids were being questioned Mm. you know and they were small they were so small and i was so angry but after a week it was dismissed because, you know, my child dismissed. Case, it was dismissed. Charges were dismissed because my young child could not give an exact date, and because it wasn't because it was without. They couldn't prove that with a reasonable doubt. Oh, without a reasonable doubt. Without a reasonable oh doubt that God. it was dismissed, and you know they thought they had victory, 
oh, we knew you were lying all along. You told your kids to lie. I was like, no, because it, and oh, God. you know, how the whole thing surfaced was one of my kids went to my pastor and told him, and my pastor called me in. They have something to tell you. Oh, God. And so that's, it, you know, it, it, it was hard. It was hard. I was, you know, after that. We're like, okay, whatever. Family still doesn't accept us. So whatever life goes on, I was hurt. And it, it hurt even more to see that they dismissed all the witnesses because they keep the witnesses in a separate room. We were leaving. All the witnesses were coming out of the room. So my family members, they were coming out to testify against me because when I had to testify, they were trying to really drag me through the dirt make me look like a very bad promiscuous mother, you know, Mm -hmm. and that it was my fault that this happened, you know. And so out of the same room with their witnesses was their father. And I'm like, what on earth? Why? Why? How could you do that? Testify against your own child? You know, I was filled with rage, you know, but like I said, if it weren't for Emily and with God's help, he strengthened me through that time. I was able to go through and just continue living life. And not too long after that, it's like, I I can't remember why, but I needed help watching kids, watching, I needed help. Nobody else could, so I became desperate. I asked him, could you just come and watch them on the weekends only? It's like, I leave at this time, could you watch them? So he was like, sure. So as soon as he walked in, I'd walk out. When I came home, he walked out. But this one day he sat there and I'm like, aren't you going to leave? And just, he sat there and he's like, out of the blue, he's like, my mom is doing witchcraft and she's getting angry because she's losing her grip on you. Oh my God. Nothing else. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, you know, you can tell your mom to do whatever she wants because I serve a God who's more powerful. And he was like, and then he just stopped. He was silent for a minute. I'm like, are you going? And then he's like, I want to come home. I'm like, you don't have a home. And um, he and he started crying and said he was sorry. I'm like, you know, I've heard this many times before. I was like, I want to see change this time. I said, the ball's in your court. I want to see change first before I even tell you yes or even take you back. And so he left. Two weeks, within two weeks, he had a girlfriend moved mm-hmm. in with him and his mom. So I'm like, well, he's made his decision. So now I have my opportunity. I'm going to file divorce so we divorced and there was no issue because he didn't show up so i was granted the divorce and i thank god emily was with me through the whole process you know i was given full custody of the kids which i've always had anyway and it's like over the course of time because i still had this need for affirmation it's like all of my involvement in ministry it just became about me you know, I love the attention. I love the compliments. I like the limelight, you know, so it's like I started to live for that, forgot that it was all about God and it became about me. And, you know, during that course of time, it's like Adrian and Emily were launched out to, to like Havasu. It was like Havasu first. And then um, oh, it's like, hard. it was. And I became really busy with ministry became too busy to pray, became too busy to read my Bible. It was all about me and I backslid. I walked away from God. I'm like, well, I'm going to do my own thing, you know? And it was like another taste of success, you know, that I felt like I was feeling. 
and it was a wrong way to look at it, you know, instead of making it about God, I was making it about me. And so it's like, I was a little heartbroken because they left, you know, like, but God, I'm like, why would you take them? I became angry. Why? I was like, I know they're needed somewhere else, but why? You know, we were all broken when we found out they were leaving. We all cried. Mm -hmm. So I was already a little angry and upset. So Mm -hmm. it made it a little more, it made it a lot more easier to just walk away. So again, I fell back into my sin of drinking and partying. And since I was out, you know, I'm like, well, I'll just do what I need to do. You know, it's like I've always, you know, I seen a job listing for the police department. And in Phoenix, I had started the process, you know, never made it through because I became pregnant. And so I got hired at the police department first as a dispatcher, you know, and I became really interested. I wanted to be a detective, but I knew I needed to be an officer first. So I started studying, you know, the detectives gave me books to read because that was my interest. And when the police chief got word of it, you know, he's like, he invited me to work out with them. He's like, yeah, come, come to our workouts. I'm like, okay, went to work out and it was with the SWAT. <laughs> so I did, I get, I got to work out with the SWAT team, got to go to their trainings, you know, got to shoot their guns and just learn everything that they do. I got to learn defensive tactical stuff and everything. And I'm like, I really want to do this. And I remember starting, I was like so weak, you know, just like no muscle whatsoever and so light, but they helped me. They helped me really get into shape and train me. I built muscle. And, you know, during this time, it's like there were five opportunities I had. He opened up positions specifically for me. And finally, the last opportunity I took it, I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try this. It's like, I've been working out. I'm going to try this. So went through everything. And I was, I mean, I was just so amazed because I was the top candidate. You know, there were like a room full of people applying for this position. I made it through every one of them and I had the highest score. So I was like really proud of myself. Yeah, I'm like, oh, I really am somebody. I can do something. And so, however, the very last part of the process is the medical exam. They do physical, you pass everything. So I did a physical, hearing, eye, um, that kind of like that crushed me because I was at the very last process. My chief was getting ready to send me to Prescott to go to the academy. And then the eye exam came and I failed, you know, and I had no peripheral vision in my left eye. And I'm like, what? I did not know that. But then I'm like, how? And then I, I remembered because of the physical the violent relationship that I had with my ex-husband, you know, there was this one time where he just slammed my head into a brick wall, you know, and I had a big old bump here. And at the time I did not know that I had damaged my eye, but the rod had disconnected from the cone in the back of my eye. So I have retinitis pigmentosa in one eye, you know, no peripheral vision. And they thought that was too much of a liability because you would have to need to be aware and defend yourself you needed to see all angles of you and it would be a department liability so I was disqualified and I was so heartbroken but before I was disqualified he sent me to a specialist he was really intent on sending me and if it was corrected we were going to get it corrected but it couldn't be so I was heartbroken I'm like oh you know but I still you know advanced as a dispatcher got a lead dispatcher promotion but I'm like, I want more, you know, I was involved with the community and through that. I mean, I did a lot of community work. I mean, I started to know people high up in the city. I, I mean, just being 
involved in the community, I began to meet people, mm-hmm. you know, people, elite people, business owners, ranchers, you know, the people who made money. It's like I started to know them, but that also came in the bar scene too. It's like I was accepted into their group. They would mm-hmm. accept me, but I still had friends from this outside of the tracks, mm-hmm. you know, so I had, I mean, it's like I didn't forget being their friend because I knew who they were, but it just, you know, it was just great to be accepted. You know, that's what I'd been wanting because mm-hmm. I felt so rejected my whole life. And, you know, I was really crushed when that didn't happen. So I tried for the Department of Correct, went through the testing process. People were like, it takes forever. Went through it in less than a month. They were ready to hire me, but because of my conservative mindset, they thought I was a threat. <laughs> so that it didn't happen. And I was... Wait, 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 wait. What does that even mean? <laughs> well, because, because you're going to be working around criminals that are incarcerated you know you have to have a certain mindset and so you have to take this we I had to take this test that consisted of 500 questions and they ask you the same questions numerous times but in different forms (laughs) you know and it's like I just went neutral 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 and I was like I was honest at first and so they they they're like okay well you know we were concerned about your questionnaire so we're going to send you to a psychiatrist (laughs) questionnaire was and I guess it's kind of normal that they send people to their psychiatrist in Phoenix just to make sure you know I'm I've got my head on (laughs) you know so it's like they scheduled it but then, you know, during this whole time, I got involved in a relationship and uh, he worked there and I was, you know, almost through the end of the process. I was almost hired, but then they said, I'm sorry, we can't hire you, you know? And I'm like, oh, I'm like, what now? I'm like, why God? You know, even though I wasn't living for him, I'm like, why God? You know? And so I'm like, this ain't going to stop me. Okay. So then I started, I'm like, well, what can I do? And then I stopped by the fire department, talked to the fire chief. Do you have, you know, I know they hired on-call firefighters. I'm like, do you have any, are you hiring anymore? He's like, no. I'm like, oh, darn. Okay. Well, just keep me in mind if ever. And so um, I'm like, I'm like, wow, I was like really depressed for a bit. But let me backtrack before I started trying to move on to another job. I remember working as a dispatcher. Okay. And, you know, I'm still like trying to stay safe, but still trying to do my own thing. You know, I wanted more out of life still. And, you know, I mentioned that Emily and I had done a jail ministry and I had a heart for, you know, people behind bars, you know, because I kind of understand their background and how they grew up, why they do the things they do. But, you know, it's like I became employed at the police department and, you know, when you, it's really hard not to get caught up in that mindset when you're, especially when you work law enforcement, you really have to keep a right heart. Otherwise you become cynical. And that's what I did. It's like, you get the mindset that either you're blue, you're law enforcement or you're a criminal, you know? Mm-hmm. And I started to pick that up, especially working as a dispatcher, getting phone call after phone call, being you know, mistreated on the phone. You're like, oh my gosh, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. you know, I got cynical and I really started to get irritated by people, especially I'm like, you know, I I don't like people anymore. (laughs) You know, it's like I started to grow cynical. Yes. But then it's like, God has various ways of humbling you. And it's like one morning as I'm going to work, I worked the six to two shift during that time. And um, I woke up on my way out the door, the whole city was filled with smoke. And I'm like, wow, we must have had some fires overnight. 
So I didn't, I'm like, well, I guess I'll find out when I get there. So I walked in and, you know, my supervisor's sitting there and she normally doesn't come in until eight and that's into the administrative offices. So while she was there, I'm like, oh, you're here. And she goes, where's your son? And I'm like, I don't know. She's, are you sure? I'm like, yes. And then, you know, my coworker, she's like, she goes, there were three fires overnight. I'm like, really? I'm like, what happened? You know, and she explained to me, she goes, they caught two, sus they've apprehended two suspects. They're still one at large. I'm like, oh, I'm like, what are the names? She, you know, told me one of them was my cousin's son <laughs> and his friend and the third one. I'm like, well, who's the third one? She's like, your son. I'm like, and my heart dropped. I'm like, how old was he at this time? He was 18. Oh, okay. Because I, I had, I had to kick him out okay. before because of his, you know, rebellion and everything. And I just, he was always getting in trouble. So I'm like, I, I kicked him out. I'm like, I can't deal with you. I've got three so, yeah, siblings to take care of. Yeah. So then he moved in for a bit. He goes, I'm sorry, mom. I changed. This was several months later. Let him move back in. But then two days before his birthday, he moved out. Before he turned 18, he moved out. So it's like, I had oh, no, no idea so where he was living. Yeah, so oh, he's 18 now. Yeah, so he's 18. And I'm like, oh, you know, and, you know, my boss walked out. And, well, actually, before she walked out, she's like, are you hiding him? I'm like, no, I don't know where he lives. He's been out since before he turned 18, you know, and she walked out. And my coworker's like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. And she goes, I'm so sorry about your son. You know, and I just proceeded to, con you know, start my work schedule, log in and answer calls and do what I needed to do. And I was like in shock. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So they just started three fires. Yeah. They were, well, he was involved, but, you know, I learned that he didn't start any of them, but he was there. So that mm -hmm. made him just as guilty. So that day, having <laughs> it was like, it was... It was quite a day. It's like I didn't get to go home because maybe they thought I was going to try to look for him and hide him or whatever. It was hard. So they apprehended you at the office? They made you stay at the office? They, they did. I still worked. Mm -hmm. You know, I still worked. My coworker left and I was in shock and I, I was fearful. I'm like, what happened? What happened to my son? You know, did they leave him in a burning building? You know, yeah. that was just the friends he hung out with and I didn't know what was happening and I was praying I'm like god you know what's going on and I wasn't I was kind of not really saved still backslid but I knew that I could still pray so I it, it was hard watching agencies they had set up incident command at the station and all these agencies were coming in more people were coming in you know they were gonna do a manhunt you know and I was like just I was scared. And finally at late, like around 1040, you know, all the officers plus other agencies met for a meeting. And during that time, the non-recorded line rang. We had a non-recorded line, you know, I answered it and it was my son. He's like, mom, he's like, I'm so scared. I'm like, oh, like, where are you? And I'm like, I'm so happy to hear from you that you're okay. I'm like, I don't know all that's happened, but... I'm like, see, you, you're going to have to turn yourself in because he's like, you know, I thought about jumping the train. I'm like, you can't. They're going to find you and you'll have more charges added for running, you know. And I talked to him and he's like, could you pray with me? 
So I did, even though I was backslid. <laughs> you know, I said the sinner's prayer with him. And I told him, I'm like, Stephen, I'm like, you have to face the consequences. I'm like, you have to be a man. <laughs> and so I'm like, what I'm going to have to do, I'm going to have to call somebody to go pick you up. And he's like, I know. And so, so <laughs> I got his address where he was at. I told him, I'm like, I want you to go sit outside on the sidewalk. Tell me when you're there and stay there. Okay. I'm going to keep you on the line. So he's like, okay, I am outside mom. So I got on the radio and I dispatched, you know, I called for the lead detective, you know, and he answered. I'm like, can you give me a call? And he's like, we're busy. We're in a meeting. And I got back on him. Like it's regarding the last suspect. I'm like, I have his location. And he goes, hang on, I'll be right there. <laughs> so immediately him and two other guys came and I told him, you know, while I was on the phone with my son, I'm like, I still had the phone in my hand. I'm like, he is at this address. He is going to be waiting for you. He's sitting on the sidewalk. He goes, okay, dispatch the other officers. So he went off hour and it was just not far down the street where he was, you know? And so I did, I got on the radio, dispatched the address and several cars left, <laughs> you know, several patrol cars left. And within a couple of minutes, they called that they were on scene. And I told Stephen, just do what they tell you. Keep your hands out of your pocket, you know, just mm -hmm. do what they tell you. And when they called out and said they had him in custody, I hung up the phone and I watched on camera as they pulled up to the station and they took my son out in handcuffs, took him into the station to begin interrogating him. You know, it was, it was hard. It was hard for me as a mother. I sat there. I just started praying. And then before I left ship, I asked if I could see him. And normally they don't, but they let me, you know, of course I knew they were recording because it was an interview room, mm -hmm. you know? So I told him, I'm like, Steve, I don't know the details, but you know, what you've done is wrong. I said, just be truthful with them. Don't hold anything back. And he did exactly that, you know. I got to hug him, pray with him, and then walk out. And I knew that was going to be the last time I got to hug him for a long time, you know, for a while. And throughout that week, it was really hard, you know. The detectives kept me updated, you know, mm -hmm. and I was glad to hear that he was not one of the fire starters. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I'm like, okay, good. But he still had to face charges, you know. So... <laughs> It's like instantly, it's like the day that it happened. It's like instantly social media was flooded because the names were known now of who the three perpetrators were. Mm -hmm. You know, the, it's like, I don't, I guess my name was just a little more out there. Everybody was upset, you know, because this is a well-known charitable organization. That and, got uh, burned down. Yes, mm -hmm. one of them was. And so... Everybody knew who I was because, you know, I was always involved in community events with the police mm -hmm. department. And everything changed that day. People wanted my head. People wanted my job. They wanted me fired from my job because of my son's involvement. And, you know, the chief walked in and he's like, everybody wants your job. I'm like, really? He's like, but I told him it doesn't work that way. So he was like, um, and he was a pastor, but he was a pastor and he was real. You know, he was really real. He lived his faith mm -hmm. and it was obvious and everybody knew that. So, you know, he would always check up on me and he, and he told me before I left work that day, stay off social media, turn it off if you have social media. Don't 
read what they're saying. Do not listen to what they're saying. Just leave it alone and don't make any comments toward anybody. I'm like, okay, I won't, you know, and it's like, what are they saying? You know, Mm -hmm. and that was a Thursday, Friday, I went to work and then it's like, I took a weekend off. I'm like, I had to stay with my kids. I went home, told my kids what had happened. They were like in shock. They were scared. Mm -hmm. They were worried about their big brother. And my first instinct was just to stay in. We stayed in all weekend. I needed to be with them. And then my my first, you know, instinct is to hide. I wanted to crawl under a rock and hide. But I'm like, no, I'm not going to live that way. You know, I, I continued. Life. I mean, I lived as normal. I was not going to stay hidden. I was not going to be intimidated. And my cousin, my close cousin, who let me move in with her into her brother's house, you know, we've always been close. Her son was involved. I felt like I needed to be strong with her because she was breaking. It was harder for her. She couldn't handle it. So I felt like I had to be strong for her, too. And I had to coach her through. I'm like, walk with your head held high. Don't listen to their comments. Don't look at them. Live life as usual. And that's what we had to do. I lost a lot of friends, a lot of friends. It's like the smiling, welcoming faces. They turned into cold, hateful stares. Everywhere, everywhere we went, I experienced that. I experienced mean comments or people staring at me, trying to intimidate me. Sometimes I'd have a stare down (laughs) because, because, you know, there's still a little bit of feistiness, maybe. (laughs) I didn't let that stop me. And, um... I had a lot of closet friends, meaning people who would be my friend, but not in public. Oh, my gosh. You know, because it's like, I I mean, the way people were coming at me, the way the people, the members of this organization reacted to me was very hateful, you know, and I'm like, okay, there were a few faithful friends that stayed my friend, though, but they became a target, too. So a lot of people saw that and they became closet friends. Mm -hmm. But the people that said they were my friends before, they were, but really weren't, they were gone, you know. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, well, okay, whatever, you know, but I still had my friends across the tracks, (laughs) you know. (laughs) It's like they didn't care, but through that whole time, it's like, you know, it didn't seem bad at first, but I always had the police chief, you know, Chief Garnett, He was always there. He'd always check on me. He'd always give me scriptures, you know, to read and encourage me. So I was thankful for that much, you know. And I didn't think it was really bad. I had to go to court trials, you know, court hearings. And the way the courtroom is set up, it's like you have family or friends of the defendants on one side and then, you know, families or parties of the you know other party on one side so it's like when we walked into the courtroom it was one whole side that was full and then me and my cousin wow. and we walked into the courtroom and they tried to intimidate us in so many ways but I would just walk right up to the front and sit and look around to see who all was here you know I was not gonna be intimidated by them and these court hearings passed my son was sentenced to five years you know, and there was a lot of things going on in the background then that I didn't understand. I just know that I had lost a lot of favor with people then. And then I began searching for a different job, you know, because I'm like, I liked the taste of success. I know I could do better. And I wanted to take care of my kids because I was working two jobs just to 
take care of me and my kids because at that time I got no help from my family, no help from the father. So I began my hunt and I started working at the fire department. You know, I worked really hard to get there, extra hard, studied a lot, worked out hard, spent a lot of my time making sure I could get strong. And I even put on weight just so I wouldn't be thrown around by a fire hose. <laughs> so, I mean, it was really great. I mean, I started on, I started as an on-call firefighter and then an opening, they had three openings for full-time. So I applied, I got in, I was like so proud, so happy, you know, and um, things, things were going well. I had a lot of support there. I felt accepted, you know, I felt especially proud that I was the only female there. Things went okay for a bit. People knew who I was. And I, when I walked in to class, I went through the academy. People knew who I was. They knew who my son was. And it was a little, yes. Yeah, you're at the fire department now. (laughs) It is. And I'm like, uh, well, they looked at me and I'm going to put out what he starts. (laughs) (laughs) It was awkward at first, but then after a while, yeah, it just, just, they let go. They really didn't care. It's the next drama. Yeah. For the most part, none of them really didn't Mm -hmm. care about it, but it was weird at first. Maybe a couple of people did, but for the most part, nobody else really cared. But, you know, I, I, I worked there. I loved the job. And during that time, during my time there, you know, I still partied. I really tried to hang on to salvation. I was trying to go back to church. But I would go, but then I would still you go back out and party. This time. Yeah, and then my job kept me away from church, you know. Even though I guess I could have still gone during my shifts, but I didn't. I was having too much fun. <laughs> And during that time, I met my husband. Well, he's my husband now. You know, I, I, I used to work three days on, three days off. So in my off time, I would go to the bar, <laughs> relax, because, you know, that's just kind of the atmosphere of the fire department, you know. And so I I was there one January night, you know, <laughs> my first night off. And... I'm like sitting there, you know, sitting at the bar, talking to my cousin, and all of a sudden the door blows open. <laughs> it was like cold and windy. It's like cowboy comes in. Kind of like an old west saloon scenario. Yeah. The door blows open, and mm-hmm. this, you know, this cowboy walks in. Got dark eyes. <laughs> he had long curly hair. Then I mean, his he had curls in his hair, so it's hanging out. You know, he had hair coming out of his black stetson. You know. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, he's kind of cute. <laughs> and so, you know, he sat at the bar and, you know, throughout the night, we kind of kept looking at each other. And all of a sudden, I didn't see him. So I'm like, where did he go? <laughs> you know, and, you know, he walked up to me, you know, he spoke something to me, but he had such a strong accent. I'm like, what? He said it again. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and, you know, I did not understand what he was saying. And he got embarrassed. And my cousin's like, he said, I'm like, oh, <laughs> What did he say? He's like, he's like, hey, I'm playing pool. Do you want to be my cheerleader? <laughs> and he said, yeah. He's like, I'll be my you cheerleader. You totally pictured it. Want to be my cheerleader? And she's like, what? <laughs> I was like, oh, this is not working out well. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess he walked away and, you know, a little embarrassed. But I'm like, no. But then after a while, we ended up talking that night. You know, we really hit it off. I mean, we're sitting at a bar, but we found out that we shared a lot of the same views on life. You know, we both knew what kind of life we wanted. We both knew we wanted to be married. We spoke about religion, religion sitting at the bar. <laughs> we talked about politics. We we were similar in so many ways. And so, you know, that night started the relationship. 
our relationship of what it is today. But it started wrong, but we made it right over the years, <laughs> over the months, I should say, months. But, you know, we met. We saw each other for three months, you know, for three months we dated. Within that three months, he was coming over and I was leaving for church because Cindy Swope had texted me. We kept in touch. She's like, hey, Bob's doing a revival there. You know, maybe you should go check it out. I'm like, yeah, you know what? Maybe I will because she knew I really wasn't, you know, coming to church Mm -hmm. a lot and everything. And so I went that first night and I was on my way out as he was coming up the walkway and he's like, I'm like, oh, you know, I'm going to revival. And he was like, what is that? And I explained to him. He goes, can I come? I'm like, sure. We went, you know, I'm like, just sit that far away from me, okay? <laughs> I want to make mention real quick that Bob and Cindy Swope is um, Emily Adrian and Emily's, yeah, Emily's mom and dad. Mm-hmm. Yes, and we became close. Right. Because so, people are going to be like, who's that? <laughs> okay, yes. Who's Bob? Hi, Bob. <laughs> and so, you know, he got saved that night. You know, he never, he hadn't heard anything like that. And actually, it wasn't that night. He listened. He was really amazed at what he heard. He's like, I've never heard anything like this before. And so, you know, we went, we went back to my place after. And then the next day I started the first day of my shift, my three day shift. And so I'm like, you know, I think I'll try to go tonight again. You know, I, I'm like, I really miss being here. So I was allowed to take the engine and go to church, you know? And so I did. And on the way to church though, I, we got a call. I'm like, oh, of course this would happen. Took care of that. Thankfully, it was a false alarm. So I made it back to the church to hear. And Sean had gotten a ride from my sister because his car was broken down at the time. So she dropped him off at the church. We met there. And that night, you know, we sat in backsliders row. <laughs> the very back row, mm-hmm. which is where all the backsliders sat, you yeah, know, when they came. <laughs> you know, in a small church I'm like kidding. that, all the backsliders used to sit back there. So we <laughs> called it backsliders row. So we sat there. And um, I was I was just really in awe that he raised his hand. I didn't expect him to answer the altar call. He answered the altar call. Bob prayed with him, gave him a word, and just right before church was dismissed, he called me up to the altar and he gave me a word. The sermon was about silver linings and my word was basically God was turning the page in a sovereign chapter something to that extent and at the time I'm like okay you know a new page in life you know what does that mean what does that mean for me you know and I didn't know that Sean would be a part of it (laughs) you know and three months after we met we got married quickly we knew that we knew you know I just don't know how to explain it we knew Mm -hmm. you know but during that time it's like from our backgrounds that we came from the abuse and the distress that I lived through, I was like always questioning him, always suspicious, you know, and he grew up from an abusive childhood. So we both had issues and our relationship, it was very explosive. We both had tempers, you know, we argued a lot, but we didn't fight physically. So, you know, that was one thing I was glad for, but he was very destructive. And, um, but I didn't know where all that was coming from though, because I was always getting upset with him about certain things. But then what I did not know though, and he tried to hide from me, was that from the day we met, this organization somehow knew, I don't know, were they keeping tabs on me? Were they watching me? I don't know. You know, I thought it was like all done and I thought they didn't care. It was 
we were past it, but they weren't ready to let it go. So from the moment that we started seeing each other, somehow they knew the very next day while he was at work, you know, he used to work at a feed store, he used to load bells of haze, you know, and he'd have to, that meant that he had to get on the back of customers' trucks and load their hay. So as he's standing loading this person in particular, he's the leader of this organization, he moves the truck while Sean's on it. So Sean falls off and then he backs up and Sean has to scramble to get out of the way. Mm-mm. And so a few of his other buddies, a few other members of this organization showed up and they're like trying to intimidate Sean and they're like, they're like he, he has no idea where this is he, coming from. We had an idea. Oh, he did. Okay. But didn't know it was really that, you know, toxic. Yes. Yeah. And so the leader, he walked up to Sean and he's like, she's mine. I mean, he, he, he's, he's married, you know, he had a long-term relationship. So I knew it wasn't regarding that. It's like, as far as I think he wants to hurt me, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think he was meaning that he wants to hurt me, mm-hmm. you know? So that's they still very, a very odd it, way to put it. it. It is. And I'm like, why would he say it that way? So, you know, they, you know, there was some words exchanged. Basically they threatened Sean. They're like, if you stay with that girl, you know, we, you will never have a job in this town. You know, and Sean, hard-headed like me, nobody's going to tell me what to do. We continued to see each other. But every day he faced, and they tried, they used intimidation tactics. You know, they would come by his job. You know, they would threaten him. You know, they would just harass him, basically. And I knew nothing about this yet. Oh, he didn't tell you? He huh? didn't tell me. Wow. And, and there was a lot of miscommunication that I didn't know where he was coming from, you know. And... When he did tell me some things, I'm like, no, you're over-dramatizing that. No, you know, because they really didn't do anything to me first. You know, they didn't bother me, but all I got was the cold, hard stares from people, you know, lost a lot of friends, but that's about it. But, and they threatened him. They're like, if you marry her, you know, they would just, they would just tell him things, you know, like you will not make it in this town. And so we got married anyway. And so we got married And it wasn't long after that, you know, he lost his job there. And we really didn't see it. He saw it happening, but I didn't see it. I didn't think they were capable of doing that. I didn't think anybody was that wicked or evil that they would manipulate Mm -hmm. in the way that they did. Especially because it wasn't anything you did. Yeah. Like, essentially, you turned in your son. Yeah. So it's like, what? Yeah. Anyways. I I don't know if they know that or if they even care, you know. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, so we're having our issues. You know, Sean's dealing with the intimidation and everything. And like I said, we both had explosive tempers and he was coming from a place I didn't understand. I didn't know this and I didn't know why he was angry, but we would argue. And I know two months into our marriage, actually, yeah, two months we were already ready for divorce. You know, we were already talking divorce and he moved out for a few days. But within that three days, like we started attending another church. I guess we felt good about being in church. (laughs) You know, we're okay. We're going to church, even though that's not really the truth, you know, but we were still hearing, you know, God's word. We were dealing with our issues. We still partied and we were hitting a brink we were, we were at the brink of divorce 
And during that time, my friend who worked at the police department invited me to church. That's where she went to church. She goes, I want you to come tonight. And so I'm like, okay, you know, I'll go because I told her I would be there. We fought on the way over. We argued. He wasn't living at home then. He had moved out a few days earlier, but we both decided we were going to go because he liked the pastor there. And so we argued and I'm like, you know what? I'm not going. Pulled into the parking lot. He got out, slammed the door and I, you know, peeled out of the parking lot (laughs) and I was driving down the street. I'm like, wait, my friend told me that, you know, she invited me. I don't want to disappoint her. I stopped the car, backed up pulled into the parking lot and he's still standing there I'm like I'm not here for you (laughs) (laughs) so we walked in we sat down we were like chairs apart you know and so and so you know we're listening to this sermon and in the middle of the sermon the police chief was at this church service and the pastor there he he called us up he goes I want to pray for you guys and this is in the middle of the sermon oh my goodness he goes I feel like God's telling me to tell you this. And so he spoke to both of us. They prayed for us, him, the police chief, who was also a pastor, you know, and a few other people in the church prayed for us. We got a word that night. I don't remember what the word is, but God spoke to us that night. We both felt oppression break. We felt heavy. We felt just angry, but all that broke that night. Something changed that night. I can't explain it. We decided that night we're going to make our marriage work. You know, we decided we knew God is what we needed. So he moved back home. We continued to go to church there because, you know, I was waiting to be able to go back to my own church. And, you know, I needed something more. I mean, it was good for him because he was learning. You know, it was Pentecostal. Mm -hmm. He grew up Baptist, but a Pentecostal pastor. And for me, it was like milk. I'm like, I need meat. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But for him, it was good for him because he was learning, you know. Mm -hmm. So conference was coming up and I'm like, I want to go to conference, got that conference, the Bible conference itch, you know, it's like, I love going there. I hadn't been there for a bit, but I want to go. And so he took me, he got saved that night. God touched him that night. We came to conference, you know, God really touched him at conference. He knew immediately, I want a pastor. I know this is what I want to do, you know, but we were still, you know, new marriage, working things out. And it was not until we got saved and it's always something about God getting involved that there's a big spiritual clash. The, 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 um, intimidation and harassment became more intensified. It's like suddenly I, you know, they started involving me, you know, they were, it became open because at first they would only do it to him. But then it's like, once we got saved, they didn't care anymore. They, harassed us when we were together and it was everywhere we went at the stores at the gas stations you know it's like there were times i mean sounds like junior high never ended Uh, you know what i mean it's so catty it it is and it's like and the thing is it's like it was scary because it's like Mm -hmm. in a small town like that it really truly is one of those good old boy towns so many things are hidden you know what i mean and at this time you know the police chief has retired so I felt like I kind of had a covering when he was there. Mm -hmm. But now that he wasn't, new people were in place. People that didn't care about God and, you know. Being fair. Yeah. So there were a lot of people in high places that I found that were a part of this organization. Oh, this is like an elite group. You know, it's like they tried to run him off the road outside city limits. You know, and they would follow him because he, every job that he had, 
they would pay a visit to his bosses and he oh the next day he'd be out of his out of a job and we lived in this house it's like you know we were outside cleaning the yard and the leader of this organization is across the street he owns his own business so he's across the street giving service to a person there and he looked over at us you know he's like staring we're like what's he doing and then he like writes something down in his notebook and because we were renting from the employer he worked for at that time we lost our home he lost his job oh you know so gosh. we had to move and then we moved into another place we got favor somehow because everywhere he went everybody in the city people that were employed with the city you know, would come up and talk to him and say, you know, they're saying you're bad for business. You know, they knew what was going on. Nobody would say anything though. It's like he would apply for jobs. We know who you're married to. We know who your son is. We don't want you. And so we were lucky that we got into this house. She didn't care. She didn't care. Even though her husband at one point was a part of that organization, <laughs> she didn't care. So we got into another home, you know, and at that time I used to travel to Holbrook and you know, I backtrack while we were still married. I was working at the fire department, lost my job. It's like my chief was my, the police chief, the fire chief, excuse me. You know, he was really helpful to me. He was like really wanting to see, help me succeed. You know, he used to tell me that he was glad that I was there and I worked hard, you know, I did what I could. But then one day it's like, they showed up. I'm like, hmm. And the next day, he started treating me like they did cold oh stares gosh. and there was so much strife between me and him and so and yeah I, I did well because it's like there was a CPAC that we needed to take and you know we didn't worry about pregnancy because doctors had always told him he couldn't have kids so that never crossed our mind and then I went to take the CPAC in Phoenix while I was still there what, what's the CPAC? it's a physical agility test that firefighters have to take oh, okay. yearly mm -hmm. so you know it you know during that time it's like I did go take it mm -hmm. I didn't know I was pregnant at the time so I didn't pass I didn't pass the test so I could I could not continue my employment there but leading up to that point though I started to question you know I'm like God it's like because I made my just made up my mind I wanted to make a career out of this right. I wanted to eventually become an instructor you know in the fire department and I decided that's what I was going to do. But, um, you know, with everything that was happening outside work, I started to feel like, you know, I think, I think they're going to try to hurt me in some way. I don't know why those thoughts started coming. I'm like, I think they're going to try to plan to hurt me somehow. And then I started asking God, I'm like, God, do you want me to be here? Is this, am I in your will being in this job? And you know, that, over a period of two weeks, I had questioned God. I'm like, am I supposed to be here? Because I knew what I'd wanted. I always thought back, I wanted to be saved. I wanted to be a pastor's wife. I wanted, you know, to, you know, be married again, you know. And of course, I was married at that time, but I didn't know, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. To, it just didn't look like it didn't, you couldn't tell at that moment. But like, I asked God, I'm like, God, if this is not where you want me to be, I'm like, I feel like they want to hurt me. But if this is, if this is not what you want for me, please make a way out for me, you know, and give me dignity and get me out of here because I don't like to be a quitter. I don't like to be, right. you know, and so 
he did it in a way, you know, I got pregnant, which was a miracle in itself because doctors told Sean he could never have kids. Right. You know, so we were really surprised. We were happy at first, you know, but I didn't pass the test, but I made it. I did some of the tests unknowing, no, not realizing I was pregnant, you know, but because I was so tired, so sick, I had no energy. Wow. It's like I wasn't able to. So that was my way out mm-hmm. that I'm sure that made the fire chief happy, <laughs> you know, but after that, you know, it's like I took a few months off. You know, that didn't stop. And so I eventually had a miscarriage, which was heartbreaking for both of us. So, um, how far along were you? I was about maybe eight weeks, eight weeks pregnant. You know, Sean tried to get jobs. He wasn't able to. I worked three months after started working in Holbrook, which is 30 minutes away in the, at the court there. And it, it became, you know, it became hard because the pay wasn't as great, but I was having to drive about 30 to 45 minutes both ways, sometimes getting off late. And how old are your kids about this time? Uh, About this time, you know, my oldest son, Damien, he's the second oldest. He was maybe like 16. Celeste would have been 13. Michaela, Celeste was 14. Michaela was 11. Okay. And, you know, they don't know all that's happening. You know, they don't know what's what we're experiencing. You know, we were always trying to be overprotective with them and they didn't understand why. Right. You know, we were receiving threats. And finally, I'm like, okay, you know, I just have to tell them. Right. I'm like, you cannot go here and there and be like everybody else because we are facing threats. Because it did not just, it wasn't just Sean anymore. They were threatening me they're threatening the girls it would be a shame if something happened to your girls and so you know it became real it's like I got a job in town and it was a job under the Navajo Nation I got a job at the hospital in town that was run by people other than the city and it's like Sean continued to get work but it became a financial hardship because everywhere he went nobody would hire him you know, he was met with harsh remarks. We know who you are. Why don't you just get your family out of here? You know, and it, it was hard. And it's like people that saw this happening and that tried to speak up, they were targeted. Gosh. You know, a couple of people lost their jobs because they spoke up on our behalf. Wow. Complete strangers, you know, and um, they followed us around like they would follow us to my job. They would follow him around the parking lot, follow him around town. And then it started becoming physical. They actually started getting physical with him. He was in this parking lot. He was doing work at the church there, you know, like maintenance work. And he had to go to the hardware store. So he's there. Somebody pulls up and starts to push him and starts trying to intimidate him with words. And Sean got so mad. He was like, okay, I am done being this way. He goes, I am not going to take this. He made a big old scene, made sure everybody around could hear and see what was going on. So he got really loud and it got the attention of everybody all around the parking lot, you know, city workers, everybody. And he started pushing this guy, pushed him all the way back into his truck and made sure everybody heard, don't you dare threaten me and my family again. So, you know, after that, like enough. but there were people that we didn't know that I know could see. They, they saw, I just don't know how many people would want to admit it, but I just felt like, I'm like, wow, it's like. 
when I was like, I see people being blacklisted as celebrities. I'm like, this is just on a smaller scale in a small <laughs> town and we're the targets. You know, it was really rough. But I remember coming home from work one day. Well, Sean called me at work. It was, I had two hours and he's like, he was upset. He's like, they put a hit out on me. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, we'll talk about it when I get home. So I get home, you know, he picked me up, we get home. I'm like, so what happened? He's like, so I'm out here working on the car. And he's like, this kid comes up to me, this, I know who his dad is. And he's like, hey, he's like, they put a hit out on you. He's like, they called my dad to do it. My dad is not going to do it, but he told me to tell you. So he sent me over here to tell you. He said not to worry because he's not going to do it. And so Sean's like, okay. And so I came home and we, we were scared. I started crying and I'm like, what is, what, what is going on? What? And so we called our pastor because at that time, you know, we had started attending the church in Chinle. We would drive to Chinle two hours to Pastor Artie Aragon. And so we called him and he was at a pastor's meeting in Albuquerque at that time. Um, he had Sean on speaker. Sean told him what was going on. And immediately there were several pastors that started praying for us. You know, they prayed for us and we talked to him. It was comforting knowing that others were praying for us through this. And I called Cindy Spoke, cried to her a bit. And, you know, she prayed for me. And you know, our first, of course, instinct is to live in fear. For about a week, we hardly went outside. I went to work, but it was really quickly. We took the girls to school, but we were in and out. We kept the blinds shut, the door closed, you know, and our neighbor noticed and he came across the street. He's like, are you guys, are you afraid of something? What's going on? <laughs> and Sean, he goes, well, well, as a matter of fact, you know, and told him the story. And, you know, I don't want to know. This guy had a lot of money, but I don't want to know how he had these connections. He had connections. He immediately started calling and texting people and confirmed that's what really was happening. Your neighbor. Our neighbor. Oh, okay. And we're like, I don't want to know who you just called or how you knew. And he's like, this is true. And he's like, they did talk to the Mexican gangs. You know, and they did get these people too, but they're staying out of it, you know. And the and the great thing is that they did, like, try to contact all these gangs who would pull off a hit. And going to church in Chinle, somehow we brushed, Sean brushed shoulders with somebody because my husband is very compassionate. He's nice and generous. That's just his character. He talks to everybody. And somewhere in Chinle, he brushed shoulders with the shot collar of a gang. Well, <laughs> didn't know it, but, you know, he was contacted and this came from the, our neighbor. He's like, he goes, they're not going to touch you. They already said they're not going to touch you. We're like, okay, don't know who, but okay, <laughs> you know? And then it's like, we had a friend, he was an OG, you know, he was an old gangster. <laughs> he used to like make salsa. He had an injury, so he would make really good salsa and sell it. We would buy from him and his wife all the time. So, you know, we saw him in a parking lot and he started talking to Sean and, you know, we're like, hey, you know, do you know anything about this? And he was like, he's like, you know, I'm going to call a meeting tonight. So they called a meeting and they all voted that they were not, they were not going to do any such things if they were 
called upon to do a hit. And and the funny thing is, is at that meeting that they had, my ex-husband was part of that meeting. And they all voted that they were not going to touch us. So it's like, well, I really didn't know, like, you used to see it on movies like gangster movies, like mafia movies, but they really do have meetings. <laughs> so I'm like, wow. <laughs> you know, and... um we're like, okay, you know, we're not going to live in fear after a week, after our neighbor talked to us, we're like, we're not going to live in fear. We're going to live life like normal. We prayed. We've never prayed as much as we did during that time. And so, you know, we're driving street one time, one day, and we see this backslider from the church in Winslow. He's waving Sean down and we used to talk to him, you know, he didn't go to church anymore, but he waved Sean down and he like pointed Sean, pull off of the main street. So they, we pull into a side street. He didn't want anybody to see him talking to us. So he's like, hey, are you doing okay? And John's like, yeah. He's like, he's like, I was at AA. There was a group of us standing outside and a couple of, you know, tall white guys approached us and they promised us the best rehabilitation in the state if one of us would do the hit. And he said they had pictures of you. He's like, they showed us pictures of you. But all of us, we know you. He goes, you're cool with all of us. We're, none of us are going to do it. So we're like, are you kidding me? It, it was like a really intense part of our lives, but we prayed so much, you know, and because there's a lot of witchcraft involved in this organization. It's, we prayed. There were times in the night where we would wake up, like God would wake us up to pray. It's like, I can't tell you how, but we knew there was an attack coming. And we prayed we did. We've never prayed as much as we did. And many evangelists that we met in the church, like in Chinle or even while we were in the Winslow church, we had them pray with us about our situation and they continued to pray. And so it, it, it was a fighting time. And, you know, there came a time where we knew it's like Sean has to work, but he's not going to find work here. And we can't keep living like this because I felt like I was carrying a burden being the, you know, bringing in the money. And Sean wanted to work. It's not that he didn't want to, but nobody would hire him. Mm -hmm. So we made the decision to move and he wanted to move to Chinle. I wanted to move to Prescott. He loved Pastor Artie. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Who doesn't I'm like, love Pastor Artie? <laughs> that's on. true. And I'm like, if God wants us here, I will go. But that's not my first choice. <laughs> you know, things did not work out there. It's like, you know, no housing, no jobs. It's like just there was just no open door. Right. So we started looking toward Prescott. We went to Prescott. We stayed at this, you know, motel. But when we got there, we felt so much relief. We got to Prescott. We pulled over. We cried. We're like, wow, I can't believe we're actually out of there. It was so hard. And for a while when we were here, it was hard not to look over our shoulder because that's what we were used to. We had to look over our shoulders all the time. Always be aware of our surroundings all the time. We cried when we got here. I felt like we came crawling in. We were so wounded, so battle torn because we had prayed so much. And it's like during that time that they tried to take every resource from us. They tried to take, you know, financial, they cut our financial resources or tried to. It's like God provided. It's like God always made a way. Money would show up from unknown sources. Food would show up. And before we left, two members on different occasions, you know, they talked to Sean, two members of this organization. And they told him, you know, I don't know who you are. They're like, who are you? You know, they're like, we've tried everything that we could 
to cut everything off from your family. They're like, I don't know who you are, but I'm done with this. They're like, I've lost more, more friends than I had ever wanted to. And they said, I'm done with this organization. Are you trying to protect the organization? Well, I don't want backlash or lawsuit. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Like they, you think they'd sue you for talking about it? They're elite. Oh, okay. Uh, Okay. Yes, they they are. And (laughs) on our knees praying, God defend us. Mm -hmm. God avenge us. You see what is happening. They couldn't understand how we were making it. They were trying to cut off our financial resources. They were trying to intimidate us. You know, and the funny thing is when this neighbor came to talk to us, he's like, do you guys have protection? And then Sean's like, yeah, you know, and he said, because they're, they can't get close to you guys. They can't get close to your family. They keep hitting a wall. And we're like, we really weren't sure what they were talking about, but we kind of had an idea, you know, it's like, God's protecting us. Yeah. It, you know, there were two people that wow. told my husband that they're like, you know, I've lost more than I could ever want. I am done with this organization. And Sean's like, the second guy told Sean, I don't know who you are. And Sean's like, my God, you know, the God I serve. He's like, you can know him too. And the guy turned away. He's like, no, I'm not. I don't, I don't want to. And so it was really amazing. It's like people would not believe us. They would think that we were lying it was so hard to believe that anything like this could happen you know and but it was true it it was really hard but god during these moments taught us how to pray and how to fight on our knees he was going to do the protecting we weren't going to do the fighting because so he did the fighting for us and he showed us just how powerful he is you know how reliable he is and how he can provide where it seems like there's no no resources and he made a way and when i look back now it's like i see where god moved because i had a hard time believing that god loved me my parents abandoned me you know the men in my life had abandoned me up until i met my husband and i felt so ugly you know i felt so unlovable i felt so unwanted and you know i tried to cling to words that chief garnett would say you are special and you are loved by god you need to believe it I tried to believe it, but it was so hard, you know, and it was through these trials, through all the heartache, through, through all the battles, God made himself real. There are times where we didn't see it at the moment, but when I look back now, I could see every moment where he was watching over us, protecting us, and he knew what I wanted. He knew what I needed. I became so impatient in wanting to be married. I tried to do it my own way. I'm going to do this, you know relationship after relationship and heartache after heartache it didn't work out picked up more baggage than what I needed but in the end it's like I had always prayed for a husband that loved God and I used to tell God I want him to love my kids like they are his own and my friend Emily used to tell me pray for specifics I'm like okay God I want him to be taller than me Mm -hmm. I want blonde or brown hair green or blue eyes You're like, I'll give you a <laughs> like a German or cowboy. I don't know which one yet. I'll take either. <laughs> and he gave me both. He's German and he's a cowboy. <laughs> oh, that's so and sweet. he loves my kids like they are his own. They don't see it. You know, they don't see it one day they will, but he loves them. And he took the brunt of everything since he came into our lives and he never left. There were times where I thought, I'm like, I don't know if he's going to stay. <laughs> But he loves me, 
you know, in so many ways that I never knew I could be loved. And God knew what I needed and he gave it to me in a package through my husband. You know, he's still working in our lives. He's still making that dream that I had before. I want to be a pastor's wife. I thought I was going to have to be patient and fight for a while for Sean to get it. But he got it instantly. He, God gave him a revelation and God had a calling for him. And it all happened in his timing. God knows what he's doing, you know, and, you know, rejection. Anybody who is feeling rejected, there is a God who loves you. He sees everything that you're going through. Sometimes we go through trials but it doesn't mean that he forsakes us. For a long time, I carried that name. I did think that I was forsaken, you know, even in the midst of what was success or what was limelight, I still felt forsaken, but you're not, you know, he loves you. And I got a revelation that I was his beloved. And I just hope, you know, there is someone out there that, you know, can also have that relationship, come to know the God that I know, the God that loved me all along and fought for me, fought for us and helped us through some of the scariest and most turbulent times. He is powerful. I'm so glad that we had you on and just the power of God. I feel like we got the intervention, the testimony, the financial (laughs) breakthrough all wrapped in one. And this is awesome. Thank you so much for coming on, Chen. Thank you for having me. And now it's documented.